0: If you have a Bible or a Bible app on your phone, join me in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. This is a familiar scripture for many of us. It's often been referred to as the Great Commission. And in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus has resurrected from the grave and he gathers his disciples together on a hillside and he, he kind of gives them his final mission. Like, this is it. Like, here's what I want you to go do. Here, here's, here, here's it. This is it. And he says this in verse 18, he says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he says, go. Go. Therefore, and make disciples of all nations. All right, so we're going to go. So Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, I want you to go. And what I want you to go do, I want you to go make disciples of of all nations. And then he continues and he says, I I want you to, to baptize those new disciples in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And often that's where we stop the Great Commission. Usually we just, we just stop it there, and we, just, we need to go make disciples right. We need to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Yes. But there's more to it than just making new disciples, sharing Jesus with people, and seeing those people surrender their lives to Jesus, and then baptizing them. He, he goes on, and he, and he says there's more. And he says, not only do I want you to go to the nations, make disciples, baptize those new disciples, but I want you, verse 20, to teach them to obey I want you to teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is saying here that obedience to him, doing what he has told us to do, is part of being his disciple. It's part of being a follower of Jesus' obedience is. Now, if you don't like the word obedience, right, if if you're kind of like you see the sign, keep off the grass, and you immediately put your foot on the grass, all right, if you're kind of wired, right, that's not obedience, all right, but but let me give you a different word. This word is spelled S-U-R-R-E-N-D-E-R. That's surrender. So obedience, surrender. We're going to use those words interchangeably this morning. So so why talk about obedience? Why talk about surrender? Well, as we've been learning in our series, we know that God's heart is to be with His people. We know that God's heart is to show us He's with us. And one of the ways we experience God's presence, one of the ways that that we come up the mountain is through our obedience, through our surrender to Him. I want you to imagine when... when you were a kid, if every time you obeyed, your parents gave you a piece of your favorite candy. I mean, every single time you did what they told you to do, they gave you a piece of your favorite candy. I want you to go upstairs and brush your teeth. Go brush your teeth, candy. I want you to love your sister, candy. All right, could you could you just go upstairs and just make your bed real quick? Make your bed candy. And imagine if you, every time you obeyed your mom and dad, they gave you a piece of your favorite candy. Would that impact our obedience? Now now let's say you became a teenager, 13, and now every time you obey, they gave you a hundred dollar bill. All right. Every time. Go brush your teeth. Benjamin right there. I mean, here you go. You get a hundred dollar bill. Love your sister. hundred bucks. All right, could you stay and watch your sister while I run to the store? Absolutely, $100. I mean, every time, would that impact our obedience? Probably so. A.W. Tozer, one of my all-time favorite authors, says this about obedience, about his obedience. He says, the resolve of my obedience is an encounter with God. He's saying, the reason why I'm so committed to obeying Christ is because when I obey Christ, I am encountering, I am receiving the the presence of God in the sense of I'm aware of his presence. I'm encountering him. And so it's like God is going, yes, every time you, you do what I've asked you to do, you You're experiencing my presence. You're coming up the mountain. Now, now I want to explain a little bit what I mean by obedience. I'm not talking about obeying Christ in order to earn his love or earn his acceptance or his approval. The Bible talks about there is no one righteous. There's no one who does good. That's why Jesus came from heaven, died on a cross, shed his blood on the cross, and went into the tomb and came back to life. Why? Because there's no, there's no one who does good. There's no amount of good that you could do to ever earn God's grace, God's favor. And so God, in his great love to you, sent his son. And so that by faith in him, Jesus transfers his righteousness to you. And when you get a hold of that, when you grab a hold of just how much God loves you, That he would do that for you? Obedience doesn't become a means of earning grace. It becomes a response because of grace. It's our response because of grace. And when we get a hold of that, God's commands are not a burden. In fact, John wrote in one of his letters, he said, The love of God is that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. He's not saying it's not easy to, to follow Jesus, but he's saying they're not a burden. They're not this heavy weight. And then if we tack that with, with, with what Jesus said in John 14, he, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll what? You'll keep my commandments. Jesus is saying that one of the ways you express love for me is by your obedience to me. And so for those who follow Christ, obedience to Christ is not a burden, it's worship. It's worship. It's worship. It's experiencing the presence of God and its response to having received his grace through the personal work of Jesus Christ. So that's the obedience we're talking about this morning. And so we talk about it because what we're going to see in Scripture is that as God's people obey, God is present in their obedience. He's present in their obedience. Go with me to to the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. Let me show you this. Exodus chapter 35. So one of the ways we come up the mountain, one of the ways we experience God's presence is through our obedience to him, through our surrender. Exodus chapter 35, beginning with verse 30, and then we'll go to chapter 36, verse 1. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he, God, has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, for work in every skilled craft. And he, God, has inspired this man to teach both him and Ahalio, the son of Ahishamach of the tribe of Dan and he has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver or by any sort of workman or skilled designer then Bezalel and Ahaliab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary, shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. So God commands his people, I need you to build me. I want you to build me a tent. (laughs) I want you to build me a holy dwelling place, a tabernacle, a sanctuary. And so that's the command. God commands his people to do this. And then what we see here is God is the one who has given the ability and the power for these people to fill His commands to fulfill the commands that he's given to them. And so you see that, right? He says he has filled him with the spirit of God and with skill, with intelligence and knowledge. And then you go down and he says he's inspired him. He's filled them to do the work. And then verse 1 of chapter 36, the Lord has put skill and intelligence in them to do all that the Lord has commanded. So not only is God commanding them to do these things, God is also the one empowering them and present in them to do it. And so we see God present even in their obedience. We see God's power as they're carrying out his commands. Our neighbors have um, three little kids and they have this little plastic tricycle that their kids sometimes ride. Maybe you've seen these. I think we might have a picture of of one on the screen. And so you've seen them with like the push handle, right? Those little plastic trikes, and they've got the uh, kind of the adult push handle where you just kind of push it, right, and all that. Well, uh, yeah, there it is. And it's kind of like that. It's like God says, I want you to go do this. And it's like, as we're obeying, we're pedaling, right? God is empowering us to do what he's told us to do. And so as we're obeying, we're experiencing the presence and the power of God to obey. And we don't just see this right here in Exodus, but we see this in his prophet Micah. So go to the Old Testament book, Micah. Micah chapter 3. Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, near the back of the Old Testament. Micah chapter 3. Now Micah was a prophet, of God, for God's people. And God had sent Micah around 730 B.C. To, to give a message to God's people. It was not an easy message to do. I mean, that's what prophets did. They spoke on behalf of the Lord, and they, that's what they were commanded by God to go do. And look at Micah chapter 3, verse 8. He says, "...but as for me, I am filled with power." I'm filled with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might. Why? To declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. He's basically saying, I have been sent by God to carry out a message. The command from God to Micah is I need you to go to my people and I need you to tell them that they're a bunch of sinners and they need to stop sinning. Not an easy thing to go to when it's a million and some people that you're talking about. And so his job, his mission, the commandment is to, from God to Micah to go and tell these people that they need to repent of their sins and turn back to the Lord. And Micah is saying, the power for me, where I, where I get the power to do this, to fulfill this command, is from the Spirit of the Lord. I am filled with power, with the Spirit of God, with justice and might to do this. So Micah is experiencing God's presence and his power to do the very difficult thing of obedience in this case. Listen, sometimes God is going to ask us and God tells us in his word to do some difficult things. Hard things. And I wonder sometimes if we miss experiencing the power and the presence of God because we say no to doing those things. Micah is saying, I was filled with power to carry out what God had commanded me to do. And we see this in the New Testament as well. Go to the Gospel of John. John chapter 14. The words of Jesus. We read it earlier, but he says it here. I want to read more of the context. John chapter 14, verses 15, 16, and 17. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he says, if you love me, you'll what? You'll you'll keep my commandments. You'll obey And then he says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And that helper, that's talking about the Holy Spirit. And it's in the context of God saying, obey, be obedient. And then in verse 17, he says, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So in the context, Jesus is telling his disciples, if you love me, obey. But I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. My Holy Spirit's going to be present with you to empower you to do what I've commanded you to do. He's, the, he's pushing the tricycle as we obey. We're experiencing the power to obey through the presence of God, through his Spirit in us as disciples of Jesus. And so think about this. Every choice, every decision to obey Jesus is a choice and a decision to experience the power and the presence of God through his Spirit in your life every choice to obey, every decision. Paul also talked about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In a letter he wrote in the first century, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses four through 11. So we have see God present and his, and his power present in his people as they obey. We see that in the Old Testament. We see Jesus teaching it. And we see it here in the writings of the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. Paul writes, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another knowledge according to the same Spirit, verse 9, to another faith, to another gifts of healing, verse 10, to another the working of miracles, prophecy, ability to distinguish between spirits, like discernment, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. And then look at verse 11. He says it again. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. So a person who surrenders their life to Jesus, believing in the gospel for their salvation, right? For the forgiveness of their sins. In that moment, the Holy Spirit like, comes and in, in, in dwells inside the believer, inside the disciple. And, and the Holy Spirit then gives that disciple like these, like these spiritual abilities. That you can't do on your own, but only can do with him. And, and he kind of gives a list of some of those spiritual abilities. And he, he has another list in Romans chapter 12. And then check out what Paul says. He says, when a person is using this, this spiritual ability to encourage other disciples of Jesus, who do you see? A manifestation of whom? The Holy Spirit. So, so let's say the Spirit has given me that, like this, this gift of pastor-teacher. right? Let's just, let's just assume that. All right, so let's just assume that he's given me that spiritual ability that I couldn't do this without him at all. I couldn't get up here and teach or whatever. I just couldn't without him. I need him to do that. So when that person, me, is up here teaching or whatever and, and speaking and those and, and using that spiritual ability that the Spirit has given to me, you're not really seeing me. You're seeing the Holy Spirit through me. You're seeing the presence of God. Through an individual, so maybe that God has given that person faith. You know those people that are like, man, they just have faith. Deep faith. God's going to do this. God's going to do it. What you're seeing in that person is the, is the Holy Spirit giving them that spiritual ability to believe. You ever FaceTime? How many of you ever FaceTime? You ever FaceTime somebody? Right? You know what that is? All right? You just kind of dial somebody up and their faces on the screen and you get talking to them, whatever. Like when when a person uses their spiritual ability given to them by the Holy Spirit, it's like you're FaceTiming the Spirit. Right? I mean, because that's what it's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has given them this this supernatural ability for the good of other disciples, for the good of the church. And in that moment when that person is using, you're experiencing really the Holy Spirit and his presence. And so the challenge with that is, number one, Use the spiritual ability that God's given to you for the good of the church so that we can experience the Holy Spirit through you as you serve the church. That's a challenge. And so there's some, I mean, just imagine if everyone in this room, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you have been given by the Holy Spirit a spiritual ability for the good of the church, for the common good, for the good of other believers, for the encouragement. If all of us use continuously the Spirit, imagine I mean, and and it's a manifestation of the presence of God. That's amazing to me. I think so so often what we're really seeing is the presence of God in a person, we just fail to recognize it. We give too much credit to ourselves. And it's really God. It's really God doing that. And then Paul says it again in, in Galatians chapter five, he talks about how the presence of God is with us in our obedience. Galatians chapter five. Verse 16 through 26. Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. There's this tension. There's this battle. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But... If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are this. They're evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, Paul says, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you go back up to verse 16, Paul says, but I I say, walk by the Spirit. That's talking about leading. It's talking about being empowered. He's saying, be led and be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he says, and the result of that is going to be, you're not going to gratify the desires of the flesh. And so what he seems to be saying is, as you are experiencing the power and being led by the Holy Spirit, you're going to say no to sin. You're going to say no to the selfishness. So in that moment when you're sitting on, in, in your cozy chair and you're tired from work and you're exhausted and your kids come running at you and you know, like, you know what, I, I know I need and I should get down and just love on them and play with them, you know, and everything in you fight is fighting in that moment, Right? And yet, in that moment, you say no to your selfishness, and you say, no, I'm going to go r- wrestle with the kids. All right? Where does that power come to do that? The Holy Spirit. The power in the presence of the Lord. In that moment, to say no to yourself, and yes, to love Joy, peace, that comes from the presence and power of God dwelling inside you through the person of the Holy Spirit. You're experiencing the presence of God right in that moment. And I think that happens often throughout the day. As we make decisions and choices every moment of every day, decisions, am I going to be obedient to Christ or not? And that's what Paul's saying if we walk by the Spirit, if you're led by the Spirit, and then he goes down to verse, verse 22. So in verse 16, he's like, in those moments when you say no to sin, you're experiencing the power and the presence of the Spirit. You're experiencing God in that moment. But in verse 22, when you say yes to doing what God has called you to do, to living a life like, with, like Christ, you're also experiencing the presence and power of God. in our obedience to Him. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and He gives those lists. And what's the point in all this? The point is, obedience to Christ is an experience in the presence of a spirit. Presence of God living inside you. And I think that's why Tozer says, my resolve, the resolve for obedience is an encounter with God. He got it. He understood that just the everyday, ordinary obedience to Christ was an encounter with the living God. Every day we surrender and we deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus as an experience of coming up the mountain, experiencing the presence of God. All right, you say, well, how do I do this, man? How do I do this when I don't feel like it? How do I do this when I just, surrendering is so hard. Well, go with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. You say, how do I do this? When sometimes obeying is so difficult, it, it could mean ending a relationship because you know that that relationship is not honoring Jesus. And you're thinking, man, you're trying to weigh those consequences. You're like, man, that means I can be alone. Does that mean I'm a, what's it mean? It could mean I don't find someone for a long time. Whatever. It's hard. Obedience is hard. Surrender is difficult. So how do we do this? Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. Paul writes, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now, Paul is arguing from the greater to the lesser here. He's saying if God went to such extremes to the point to where he put his own son on a cross and allowed his son to bleed out on that cross in order so that you could become a child of God. Then don't you think that same God is going to give you what you need to continue to follow him and be obedient to him? That's Paul's argument. Absolutely he is. And so it comes down to are you going to really are you going to trust the love of God? Are you going to believe that God loves you and so that in your obedience, no matter how difficult it is, in your surrender, no matter how hard that might be, that you're, you're going to believe, I know God loves me. And so I'm going to do what he has commanded me to do. I'm going to surrender what he's telling me to surrender. And no matter what that might mean, no matter what consequences or persecution or hardship I might get in the meantime, I'm going to trust that Jesus loves me. And I know he does because of what he did in putting his son on the cross for me. If God is for you, he's going to give you what you need for O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. He's going to do it. And we see that all throughout scripture. And then I was thinking about this earlier in in Philippians 2. Even Jesus understands difficult obedience. It says even Jesus was obedient even to death. Death on a cross. Jesus understands the difficulty of obedience. And yet, because of love, he suffered. He went through the cross. He was obedient. He knew his father loved him. He knew it. And so he could trust his father. And so he stepped out and he surrendered his life on a cross so that God could say to you, by faith, those of you that are trusting in Jesus, you're my child. And if I went to that extreme to get you, I will give you what you need to follow me. I'll give you what you need to follow me. I mean, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see God present and empowering his people to do what he's commanded them to do. And the same God that we read about in the Old Testament, the same God that Paul writes about in the New Testament, is here, right now. And so I want want us to ask ourselves a question, and, and here's the challenge for this week, right? The challenge is is this. Obey. Surrender. So what is it that he's telling you to obey? What is it that he's said in his word for you to do? Do it. What is it he's asking you to surrender? You see the, the little white flag there in your seat. I want you to grab that. That that little white flag represents surrender this morning. And so I want you to think about it. What is it that God has said for you to do that you need to obey? Or what is it that God is asking you to surrender that you need to surrender? Maybe for some of you this morning, Obedience and surrender looks like just surrendering your life, all of it, to Jesus. I believe you be, say, I believe God loves me because of the cross, because of Jesus, and I've never asked him to forgive me of my sins and surrender my life over to him. So surrender, obedience, for me, it looks I'm just laying it all down. I'm giving him my life. I'm surrendering to Jesus my life this morning. Maybe for some of you, surrender and obedience looks like loving your spouse as Jesus says. For you as a husband to say, I'm going to love her as Christ loves the church. Or as a wife, I'm going to love him and respect him and honor him, as Paul writes in Ephesians. As a church, it's to respect and honor Christ. Maybe for others of you, obedience is you know you're in a relationship and you know it isn't. you're doing some things and it's not pleasing to Christ. And so surrender and obedience says, you know what? I'm going to, I need to get out of that relationship because it's not pleasing Jesus. It's not being obedient. What is, what is he saying to you this morning? Maybe, maybe you're here and, and you're young, right? And, and Maybe you're a kid and you're going, what's this look like for me? Well, you know, the Bible says children are to obey and honor their parents in the Lord for this is right. Maybe you said some things this week to mom and dad that, or you thought some things this week about mom and dad that weren't, weren't pleasing to Jesus. Maybe you just need to surrender that seek his forgiveness this morning. Maybe obedience looks like saying I'm sorry to someone. Or maybe obedience means seeking forgiveness. We're not holding on to bitterness to that person who's wounded you so deeply. I don't know what what's obedience and surrender look like for you this morning. Well, what are you holding on to that he's telling you to say Surrender. And he says to you, he says, surrender it, obey, because I love you. You can trust my love. I'll give you what you need. I gave you everything and my son. I'll give you what you need. Trust me. Trust me. As a band comes, I just want to give us some time right where you sit to just ask the Lord. Ask him right where you sit. Say, God, what is it that you're telling me to do? What is it that you've told me in your word to do that I I haven't been doing? What is it that I need to stop, that you've told me to stop and I just have it? What is it you, you want me to surrender? So as they play, just quietly, I just want you to ask the Lord right where you sit and say, God, what is it that you want me to obey? What is it that you want me to surrender? As they play, just quietly, you talk to the Lord and ask him that question. God's heart is to not just be with you but to show you he's with you and one of the ways we experience his presence is through our surrender it's through our obedience to him